So this is uh, this is week two, day four, nine hours and 16 seconds that I've been hiding out. Supplies are running low. As far as I can tell though, this seems to be working. I haven't heard a single peep. No booming voice from heaven, no lightning bolts, no judgmenty stuff. You know, it's funny. They say you can't hide from the Lord, but uh, I guess he didn't think to look in the crawl space. <laughs> Granted, it's not the most pleasant of living spaces. I miss my wife, my kids. It wouldn't hurt to get a little sunlight in here. And if I keep this up, I might start looking like Gollum from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's just not safe. It's not safe. Out there in the, the brightness and the light, all that wide open space, he, he would definitely find me there. So, uh, you know, I make the best of things. Keep on keeping on. Oh, hey, just, uh, just killed two more minutes. morning must have been pretty intense for that guy to uh, be hiding from God underneath his home with rats and whatever else is down there um, missing his children and his wife uh, must be something to do that exact thing I want to thank Bernie for uh, inviting me inviting me back uh, it's always good as a, as a guest speaker and you probably know this out of uh, better than anyone here that when you get invited back that means it's kind of like a stamp of approval like you passed you didn't say anything too crazy you didn't offend anyone um, so when you when you first yeah, yeah when you first speak somewhere it's like man if I don't get invited back that means I messed up um, so <clears throat> thank you for inviting me back and, and uh, approving uh, me so I, I passed and I feel good about that so um, <clears throat> fighting some allergies, so if you hear me clear my throat and drink some water, it won't be as bad as the guy on the video, I promise. Uh, I'll try not to be that bad. Uh, so when Bernie asked me to, to come speak today about uh, the theme called Walls, and if you've been here the past few weeks, you'll know that they've been covering this topic of walls. Pastor Jeff has presented on it, and Bernie. Um, so when he first asked me, I, I really didn't know exactly where to take this, and I was like, can we, can we meet just to talk about it, because I have no idea what walls is about because um, when we think of walls we, we, we first think of barriers that, that we put up uh, for me I think we, it's in our home we, we divide our rooms where, where we go to sleep where we eat um, where we use the restroom all those different places are, are put up uh, in our home and they're divided by walls they create uh, privacy they either keep things in or they uh, keep things fr or they keep things out 
And uh, if, you, if you're a homeowner, you know that you build fences to keep things on your side of, of, the, of the property and, and keep things on their side of the property. If something falls, it's your responsibility if it's on your side. Um, and so we do this all around our life. We, we create walls um, within our homes. Uh, if, you, if you work in an office uh, and you have a, a cubicle, <clears throat> That space is intended for you to focus, to block everything out, to do the job that's been assigned to you. Uh, if, if, you're in a, if you have an office, you put up pictures, you paint the walls to create a, a comfortable space, a sacred space that's, that's yours. Uh, and if you're like me, you'll have um, a coffee parlor inside of your office. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, it's everything. I have my grinder. If you know me, I, I love it. And uh, I have the, my beans that I roast. All that is in my office. But I create that space because those are my walls. That's my territory. It's, it's mine. And we do that all um, in all different sorts of areas in our life. But those aren't the only kind of walls that, that we build up. Walls can be put up to create isolation, to create cliques. Uh, to create comfort, and if done properly, walls can be used to create a community. Uh, my sister is actually going to kill me for this, but it's a story that I want to share with you guys. She doesn't know that I'm going to share this story. Um, but whenever I, I want to make her feel bad, or she's, if I need something from her, I'll, I'll tell her the story, so she probably knows what it, what it is. Um, so when I was about four or five years old, uh, we're about 11 years apart, so she's like 16 at the time, 15, 16 years old. And uh, there's two things that I used to do when I was younger that I can remember. Is one, I used to have this blanket, and uh, it had uh, baseball players on it and stuff. And uh, I would come out from playing outside, and I'd get, be all sweaty, and I would cover myself in this blanket and start watching TV. So this thing was dirty, but I took it everywhere I went. I think I still have it, but my wife, I think, has hidden it from me. I don't know where exactly... That, that, that blanket is. But anyway, <clears throat> this particular evening, um, I wanted to hang out with my sister. And if you're, you know, you're that age, you look up to your, to your uh, older sibling. She was just old enough to where I could, I wanted to be like her. She was the cool teenager. And so I got my blanket. I walked over to her room only to find out that her uh, door was locked. So I knocked on the door and I heard the, the famous words, hold on. She told me to hold on. So I said, okay. She was talking uh, to a, a boy at the time. And so, you know, being super reserved and didn't want anyone to hear a conversation, she had locked her door. She thought she, thought she was being all cool. And uh, so those minutes turned into hours. And uh, I found myself, instead of standing, waiting at the door, sitting on the tile with my blanket, those hours turned into the next morning. Uh, and sometime between then and the morning, I had even got my, my pillow and brought it out to, to, the, to the hallway and fell asleep there. So the next morning comes, my sister had opened the door and she sees her innocent, adorable little brother sleeping by her door because she never opened it. And what does she do? She just walks over me. No, she doesn't do that. She, uh, she woke me up and she, she put me and, and she took me back to my room. But my sister had created isolation from everyone else, from me, and I was the recipient of that barrier. She had locked me out for that particular time. And for the most part, she's a good sister. She's, uh, she, she's done well. Um, that's one of the few times that I've, uh, I've been hurt and betrayed by her. So I forgive you. I forgive you. <clears throat> 
But that's, that's, that's one of the things that we do in our lives is, is we create isolation. We, we create these walls. And it's not the only type of wall that we create. With the steady growth of social media, and I, I can't even keep up with, uh, with social media anymore. Um, I told myself that when I was in high school that I was, or even undergrad, how can, I'm not going to be that older person that doesn't know what the new update of the iPhone is or what's coming. I know what, I'm going to keep up with every social media app. I'm going to be up to date. And I have Snapchat now. I do not know how to use this thing. I swipe up, I sideways, left, right, up, down. I don't even know my username. Um, all I, every time I keep swiping, it's just like the video of like me looking through the, the, the phone. And I, I just can't figure it out. And I probably have like eight different things people have sent me. It's so bad that my wife sent me, uh, she sent a group of us. I guess you can you send group photo or video or whatever. She sent me this thing, and I, and I opened it, and I was like, oh, that's cool. When did you do this? And she's like, that was like two weeks ago. And I was like, oh, well, I'm just kind of figuring it um, all out. But this is just an example of how we can put up walls in our lives, and many times it's become where our identity is found. The problem is that we've turned to TV to live out our reality, and we've turned to social media to escape it. Social media often enables us to hide from the hard and uncomfortable pieces of our lives. Too many times, we use social media to escape from the reality that we, that we, rather, we choose to use social media to escape reality rather to engage in it. And in a day when technology is the norm, it's the expectation, it's in everything that we do. It's in our work, uh, it's how we communicate with our family, Um, it's, we use it when we wake up, it's by our bedside. Technology is all over the place And, and in a time where it's the norm and the expectation, we've come to only know a world in which social media plays an integral part. In this context, I wonder if we're losing the ability to be present in the stories that we find ourselves in on a daily basis. We're going to spend some time today in the book of Acts, um, Acts chapter 9. So if you have your, your Bibles, your phones, your Snapchat, go to uh, Acts chapter 9. Um, and we're going to spend most of our time in uh, verses 1 through 9. Uh, we're going to briefly touch on 10 through 18, because I think 10 through 19, because I think there's something super important there uh, that I, I want to talk about. But if you know anything, you know that this is a very significant event, and it's uh, probably one of the biggest events in the church since, since Pentecost. Um, and this conversion is also talked about by, in the book of Acts two other times, in uh, chapter 22 and in chapter 26. And if you know anything about this man Saul, you'll know that eventually he changes his name, or his name is changed, to the man that we know as uh, Paul. And he had a past. And we're going to go a little bit into that, but it was a past that he wasn't necessarily proud of. It wasn't one that you or I would would want to be our past or or our present. Uh, It was something that uh, was the old self. It was Saul, and and it wasn't wasn't Paul. Um, Saul was dishonoring God and dishonoring his children or the people who were of the way um, that we'll soon uh, read. So I'm going to briefly just uh, read the first few verses, and then we're going to talk about them. Starting in verse 1, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. We'll uh, we'll stop there and, and just kind of 
talk about what we've just read, we obviously know that change is coming. Just by the header, we know that something is going to change. Someone's going to be converted, and that person is going to be Saul. You will know that Saul lived a lot of his life with a mission that entailed the persecuting or bringing to to persecution a lot of people of the way, uh, Christians who were following this man named Jesus. And at this point, it had become really bad. And one scholar says the emphatic yet or still that we see in the opening verse is intended to note the remarkable fact that up until this moment, his blind persecuting rage against the disciples of the Lord burned as fiercely as ever. It was at this point in time that Saul's hatred and passion for doing, wrong, for doing the wrong thing had come to a peak. Saul was on the verge. It was, it was I mean, he was on fire. He was lit up for what he was doing um, at this moment. He was taking, looking for Christians to bring them out and to, and to expose them and to persecute them. The persecution suggests <clears throat> two things. In, in, in verse 1, um, the word breathing is the first word that I want to, uh, to focus on. And it suggests two things. It suggests that persecution had become so necessary just as breathing or breath is necessary for humans. It had become so in him that the word also means to inspire. So just as we, we breathe and it's necessary for us, Saul needed this to live. It's what woke him up in the morning. It's what drove him. He woke up with a purpose and a mission. And this is where he put his whole effort, his whole life into doing. is persecuting or bringing to persecution these Christian people. It had become the norm as breathing or breath is for us. It's just what we do on a daily basis. We do it without even thinking about it. This is the point that Saul had come to. And never once did he ever think to recheck his theology, his purpose, his daily routine, his call, his mission. Never once did he step back during this time and look to see if this is still what he was supposed to be doing with his life. Without it, it felt he couldn't live, and God had simply had enough. It was almost as if, as if Saul was approaching the point of no return. When was the last time we checked our theology, our calling, our purpose, our mission, to see if it's exactly what God still wants for us, to see if that's even where God has called us to be? So much, of it, so much of this we can resonate with where we put up walls that we don't even see much of anything else. We, we have this past set in our, in our minds and in our hearts and this is where we're going. Everything else is blocked out and we become a Saul where we never once step back from ourselves, examine what we're doing, our life, look at our heart and see, God, is this still what you want me to do? In verse two, <clears throat> Saul is now going to the high priest to inquire about letters from the synagogues of Damascus. And if you know where Damascus is, it's the city north of of Israel. And it was the capital of the Roman province um, of Syria. Um, And Acts verse 3 says, As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Have you ever experienced, or going back to the the phone thing, um, where you... uh, you maybe there's something, someone that's doing something really embarrassing, or maybe it's a celebrity and you try to be like super slick, take a picture, or like you use like the volume button, because you can do that now, figured it out. You can use your volume button to take a picture of someone, uh, or if you're doing like a selfie. Um, but have you ever had that where you're trying to take a picture and you forgot the flash was on? 
and all of a sudden someone's like, someone just take a picture of me and you're super embarrassed. Or better yet, if you, if you drive through a popka, uh, okay, see, we, we're right now going. <clears throat> if you drive through a popka, um, people obey stoplights there better than anywhere else. Uh, and I, I live out there and I know it's because there's so many cameras at all, all of these lights. And it's crazy to see that, I mean, that light turns yellow and people are like slowing way down. They're stopping at the light, looking both ways, putting their blinker on, taking a nice slow turn. But once they leave a popka, it's like disobe- disobeying these lights, going flying through. And I'm like, what in the world? This guy was just like super, super obedient back here. And now he's like flying through. Well, it's because of these lights. Um, that they've put on these cameras that will, uh, will take a picture of you. And if you're like me, you've, you've had your picture taken without permission. Uh, and it's the worst feeling in the world. You're just, uh, you see this flash in the rear view and, and you're just hoping that maybe someone is being a little more disobedient than you. Maybe that there's a car behind you that was going a little faster that took that light and maybe it's them that's getting uh, that, that picture taken and maybe someone else is being just a little, um, going just a little faster or, or just behind me and you're hoping that it wasn't you only to come to find out 30 days or so later, you get a, a, a letter in the mail and it's not the Disney picture that you took with your family. Uh, it's a picture of you with your car, your license plate. If you're lucky, you'll even get a video that you can look online and see exactly uh, the, the light that you passed you'll know that it was you that actually got the ticket. That light was meant for you. In Acts 3, Saul's on his way to take the lives or to capture more of these people to, to bring them to persecution when all of a sudden he sees a flash or a light from heaven around him. Some historians say that where, where uh, this area was located with the, with the way the land uh, was, was laid out, there, there'd be a lot of lightning storms and, and crazy um, <clears throat> um, thunderstorms and lightning that would, that would uh, kind of encircle this area. But Saul knew that this light was different. At that moment, Saul is really hoping that one, the light isn't coming from heaven. And two, if it is coming from heaven, he's hoping that that light isn't for him. The only problem is that he's not in the middle of a pop of traffic. Uh, down on near Park Avenue. He's in Damascus, out in the middle of nowhere. The only people that are with him are the, peop- are the men that he's leading to, uh, to fulfill um, this purpose of his. Saul knows that this light was directed towards him. This spectacular event must also be regarded as unusual as God during this time doesn't usually uh, confront sinners with a heavenly light or an audible voice from heaven. Now, if, you're, uh, if you know me, you know I love music, um, and they did a great job today. It was awesome. Kind of gave me the energy I needed to be up here. Um, but if you are ever in church or you've ever gone to a concert and Oceans comes on, I don't know if any of you guys like, like Oceans, but whatever song that is for you, that song comes on, or you're at, you're at that concert listening to it, or you're in church, and that song comes on, and you're just like connected with God, the spirit is in you, you're saying, God, I'm ready, this is the moment that you're coming, it's right now, split open this church, this, this, this arena, your angels and all your fire, all your glory, everything, come now, I'm ready, I am so lit up, now is the time, come please, or if you're in your car 
and that, that song comes on, the windows are down, the sunroof is open, and you're just like, just praising his name, and you're like, if you come right now, I am so ready. Let that be today. This was not what Saul was hoping for. Saul was not having that encounter of that good sermon or that good song that he heard in church. Saul's immediate reaction is to do what? Says Saul, simply, he falls to the ground. And it wasn't one of those burning bush moments where he takes his sandals off and he's like, I'm in the presence of God. This is amazing. This is going to be good. Um, I'm, I'm, um, I'm, I'm going, I'm going to encounter God in this very moment. This was an act of fear. He wasn't bowing down to God at this moment. He literally fell. This dude was literally scared for his life. Some use the word, he was terrified of the heavenly light. In Acts 9-4, reading it quickly, then he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, says his name twice, why are you persecuting me? Is it possible that when God asked him, why are you persecuting me, that he was actually talking about himself? And I, I'm, I'm going to just suggest this, and this is the beauty about being a guest speaker, is that I can say things, and you can take it or leave it, but I get to leave, and the pastors get to deal with whatever I've said. So I love being the guest speaker. But I'm going to suggest this. When we read this text, at a glance, when we hear, Saul, Saul, why are, we, why are you persecuting me? We automatically jump to what text? Well, you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me. We assume that God is talking about the people, his people. But I want to suggest that God is actually talking about himself. That when he was persecuted, when God asked, why are you persecuting me? That he was asking Saul a direct question. You see, Saul had put up walls and as a result, he had blocked God out. And when you block God out, you reject God. You essentially kill the thought of him in your mind. We know, in, we know that Saul was very educated. He studied with, under great men in Jerusalem. And he came from a Jewish family. Saul was set, and maybe without even noticing, he began to block God out of his life. And God responds in the best way possible. And I, I love the way God responds. He could have used the name, I'm God, I'm the Holy Spirit, I'm Yahweh, I'm Lord. But, but God responds... With this, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. The same name that Saul was persecuting over, the same name that he was killing or taking people to be killed in the name of, God now uses that name to reveal himself to Saul. He says, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. The term Jesus purposely chosen to convey to him the thrilling information that the hated name which he sought to hunt down, the Nazarene, as it is in Acts 22 verse 8, was now speaking to him from the skies, crowned with all glory and honor. This was Jesus. This was the man that he was fighting against, and now he is revealing himself from heaven. God doesn't follow up by telling him to immediately stop uh, the persecution of his people, but he starts was simply telling him to listen. What follows is a command for Saul to listen to the voice of God, to break down the wall that he'd built for so long and to listen to what God was telling him. With all of Saul's education, knowledge, and reputation, he thought that he was doing the will of God, but he relied on himself 
and he didn't seek the wisdom from his creator and as a result began to build up walls to block God out of his life. And Saul was very responsive. Saul says immediately, Saul's first response is, Lord, what do you want me to do? If you look further down uh, in, in the verse, verse eight, um, you'll see that Saul rose from the ground and his eyes were open. During this time, Saul had been, had been blinded and we're gonna talk about that here uh, in a second. But his eyes were open for three days, the Bible tells us that he saw nothing and he had to be led by the men that were with him. You notice anything strange about that? There were men that were with him, but it was only Saul who was blinded. These men saw the light, but only one man was blinded and that was Saul. And I think God did this with intentionality um, and this is why. God doesn't say, you know what, uh, I, I'm, I'm gonna have, we're gonna do the whole people of Israel thing where you lead, you find, you follow my spirit, this cloud, this is where I'm gonna take you. No, instead, God says, the people who you've led, the ones who are below you, now you're gonna to have to put your trust in them to lead you to my will. Now Saul is having to lower himself and trust the men that he's been leading the wrong way the entire time. He now has to trust in these men. God only blinded Saul. You see, when we continue to block out God long enough, there will come a point in time where we will need to check our ego at the door, let our pride down, and hold the hand of that person who's going to get us back into a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. When we, when we put up walls, we build a maze that we oftentimes can't get out of on our own. And God calls us to this humility, to be no longer the one who navigates, but the one who needs to be navigated. And you may be that person who's continually praying for someone, and, and you're, you may be the one who's saying, God, just be with this person, make that person turn around. I wanna encourage you today not to give up because one day God's gonna call you to hold the person in that hand to lead them back into his loving arms. Is it possible that when God calls us to a task that, that this is the last time that we ever listen to his voice? Is it possible that we say, God, you know what? I'm just gonna take it from here. I've done the, the education, the Adventist education. I've grown up, I have the spirit of prophecy, the whole library, I, can, I, I have it all. I have the education, God, I don't need you anymore. Is it possible that we say that with our hearts and as a result, we continue to block God out? Later we see that, later scripture tells us that his eyes were open but he couldn't see and scales literally fell off of his eyes. Some scholars say that something physical which produced blindness fell off. You see, just because our eyes are open doesn't mean that we can see where we're going. God is longing to take those scales, those barriers of hurt, of pain, anxiety, and stress, and sin off of your eyes so that you can see again, so that you can see God in all, all of his glory and all of that he can provide for you. And then reading uh, down, there's what I believe to be the forgotten hero in this whole story, and that's uh, someone by the name of Ananias, and, and uh, it says Ananias baptizes Saul, but I'd like to... I like to call that the great welcome. There's this man by the name of Ananias, and I'll let someone else dissect this area. Maybe Bernie can do it one day, but um, I briefly want to, to, to just touch on it, on, this, on what the role that Ananias played in this story. And Paul owes a lot to this man, or Saul, uh, owes a lot to this man because he, a man following God's 
own heart and will received a call from God that he must go and help this man Saul, that he must go out of his way, out of his comfort zone, get himself dirty to go help a man who's, who's been killing people, God's people, or persecuting, taking them to persecution. Now Ananias has to go and lead this man back. He could have approached it with suspicion, with resentment, with reservations, and said, yeah, I have conditions before I go help this guy, but he doesn't. Scripture tells us that the first words that Ananias says to Saul are what? Brother. He says, brother Saul. Two men with completely different worldviews now collide, and Ananias, who is part of the chosen, is challenged by God to accept this man. And what does he do? He does just that. You see, these walls we put up, they don't stop after we accept Jesus. It's not an I problem, a we. It's a church problem as well. You see, we don't just build barriers to keep God out. The problem is that as a church, we've built shelters for people who are like us. We've built these walls to keep us comfortable, warm. They provide feel-good messages. They create a place for our children to learn about the core values and beliefs that we want them to learn. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when we stay within those walls or boundaries, we become exclusive. And dare I say, we interpret the remnant to mean a group of elites who separate themselves from the world. We stay where it's easy and we forget that our mission is to reach out to the hurting, the sick, the poor, the ones who aren't like us, and in fact, the complete opposite. And yet, we are called to love them as a church body, to call them brother, to call them sister. What kind of walls are we building? And have we made those doors to our churches feel welcome enough for others to feel loved and warm just like we are? Have those walls been built to create an atmosphere that is filled with the presence of Jesus or to do the exact opposite and keep Jesus out? And as a result, keep the people who are craving to know what it's like to have Jesus in their lives out. A lot of times I find myself taking my own paths in life where I say in two, three years, I, this is where I want to be. Uh, I want everything fixed. I just, I want to know where I'm going to go. And I, and I set a plan and when it falls apart, I lose it. I don't know where I'm at. I've lost all sense of direction. I'm constantly trying to fill a void that can only be filled by Jesus. You see, it's our heart, it's our sin that has built a wall between our heart and heaven. Saul went down his own path thinking that he was doing God's will. He was trying to fill a void that he had in his heart, and we as a church, we tend to do the same thing with our communities. I'm here to tell you today that the only way to fill that deep emptiness for something more, something genuine, is to allow God to break down those barriers. The only way sinners can be saved is to rely solely on the mercy and grace of God our Savior. As, as Jesus said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you. It's not our path, it's not our journey, it's not our careers, our jobs, our insufficiencies, but it's God's grace that is sufficient. It's the only thing that's sufficient to keep us motivated and going. Many of us, including, including myself, we say and we speak that we are insufficient, but through our actions we believe that our insufficiencies are enough. So may I suggest that this story of Saul was not a story of sudden conversion, but of sudden surrender. Paul had been fighting against God physically with his people and mentally, blocking him out with, wa with walls in his spirit. And in that very moment, lightning flashed and Saul surrendered to Christ. 
We need to experience God in our life. The time for sitting back and observing is over. The lights are going to flash and it's time for us to get fully immersed in his grace. We just observed a few weeks ago Easter and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And over that weekend, a pastor friend of mine, uh, he, he shared uh, this fact and I, I think it was, uh, it was pretty interesting. Recently, a study came out that public speaking is the only fear higher than the fear of death. That tells me that we're more afraid to stand before God, stand before people and be judged than to stand before God and be judged. To let God into your life behind those walls is to become fully exposed. And all he wants to do is radically change your life, cleanse you of any blemish, make you new, and to live in victory with him. The good news is that no matter how high, how long, how wide we built these walls, you cannot keep God out. All he wants to do is remind you of what he's called you to do, which is love people into a lifelong relationship with Jesus. Are you ready to first do this in your life and collectively as a people of God? Deep down inside, we all long to have this connection to our creator that, we, that might be masked by sin, greed, hate, and success. But guess what? You cannot keep Jesus out. No matter what you've done in your past, those walls are not big enough to keep Jesus, our creator, out of your life. As S.M. Lockridge once said, death couldn't handle him and the grave couldn't hold him. If the walls of that tomb couldn't contain him, then I promise neither can any sin in your life keep Jesus out from loving you forever. Jesus is ready to knock down your walls. Will you surrender? Heavenly Father God, as we, as we close today, we just want to come to you asking you to break down those walls, the walls that we've built for so long. God, they may be miles and miles high, but Lord, we know that you can break down those walls. As you died and you rose again, you rolled away that tombstone. Your angels came down. You were victorious, so be victorious in our lives, God. We ask that you come into our lives, into our churches, and reveal your purpose and your will. The time for hiding behind these walls are over, God. May we only hide behind your cross, the only thing that's sufficient for us to continue living and loving people into eternity, God. May we hide behind your cross, and may you shine ever so brightly, God. Come to this place today. In your name we pray. Amen.